unfortunately, the cost of auto repair has gone up much faster than inflation. It's about 23% growth in the cost over the last 18 months, which is wild. It hasn't grown this quickly since 1974. So we're in a period of unprecedented cost increase. Welcome to the SMB Tech Innovators Podcast, powered by Gusto. On this show, we explore the intersection of fintech, vertical SaaS, and how software combats the rising complexity of running a business. Our goal is to share stories, advice, and best practices from the leaders and investors behind today's cutting-edge platforms. This episode of the SMB Tech Innovators Podcast is brought to you by Gusto Embedded. Gusto has spent a decade building and testing its payroll, tax filing, and compliance infrastructure, which is available as a robust set of APIs so you can develop custom-tailored payroll solutions. For more information, go to embedded.gusto.com. Here's your host, Brian Bush. On this episode of the SMB Tech Innovators podcast, my guest is Kathleen Long, the Chief Revenue Officer of RepairPal, the leading provider of auto repair and maintenance information to consumers and a resource when you need to find a trusted auto repair facility. Kathleen, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. I'm excited for this conversation, but to get us started, please just talk us through a little bit your background and particularly the journey that brought you to to where you are today as the Chief Revenue Officer of RepairPal. Yeah, absolutely. So I was in fintech before joining RepairPal. In fact, had the opportunity to work with some of your colleagues when I was in payroll specifically. But I also worked in accounts payable receivable for Bill.com, PayCycle, Intuit before that. And I had a nice little entrenched career in a very specific industry. And I Felt like I was probably going to stay there. And this opportunity came out of left field when I was looking for a new job. And a lot of the skills that I had obtained about process and people, data movement and all of that were actually very relevant to what I do now at RepairPal. I thought it would be an interesting opportunity for me to flex different parts of my leadership muscles. So I made a change. Let's dig in just a little bit more there because, and maybe this is showing my assumptions and bias, but... I think about a typical auto repair shop, and there are a lot of men around the shop, very few women, typically. Talk us through a little bit, kind of, I think you said at a unique place in this particular industry, maybe the same could be said about tech, but talk to us a little bit about kind of what it was like for you since it was a bit of a change. What it's been like learning the auto industry, and in particular, kind of carving out space for women or a fairly public personality as a female business leader in the auto industry. Yeah, absolutely. I think that you're right. When you think about an auto repair shop, you think about a man. And actually, when I first joined RepairPal, I was the only woman on the executive team, which I thought was going to be a unique challenge for me. And it has been just simply because in my prior jobs, I had a couple of CEOs in a row that were very focused on building 50% women-oriented teams, things like that. So I'd always worked with teams that had a good dispersion among men and women. Having said that, when I get into a room of revenue leaders in general, sort of cross-industry, many leaders of sales and revenue teams are men. Men are perceived as better salespeople, generally speaking. You get in different rooms in tech, depending on if it's an engineering conference or what, you're still going to be looking at a male-dominated space. So automotive didn't scare me with the sort of male orientation at all. And I thought that this would be a good challenge. And I feel like when I see a room of all men, my immediate thought is, oh, you need a woman in here (laughs) to provide some balance. It's just like when you see a room that doesn't have enough diversity of various different kinds, you need to add that diverse perspective because 
the automotive industry should look more like the automotive customer. And the reality is that there are more female automotive customers than there are male automotive customers. The automotive customer looks like America, honestly, in the U.S., because there are so many folks over 18 that are car owners or car drivers. And so really, that's what the industry should look like. And I've said this a number of times. I think that there is a place for everyone in the automotive industry and that those perspectives are really valuable. I appreciate that, Kathleen. And what I want to get to is sort of a bit your model. And part of the reason is that we talk a lot about vertical SaaS on this particular show. And typically, I would say, hey, vertical SaaS seems like a very different model from a marketplace. But I think there are a handful of examples where you start to see the two merge. And so I really want to dig into what Repair Pile's model looks like, how you create a network, how when you can help the industry look more like its customer base, that helps with the customer experience and some of those things. But so before we get there, please just give us a little bit of the overview of who is RepairPal, the service, or how you provide that that marketplace and the offering to consumers, and particular kind of your role in building that business. Yeah, absolutely. So RepairPal was founded in 2007 with the idea of being a resource for consumers. So we are first and foremost a consumer-focused company, which I think is really beneficial to the repair facilities that we also serve. So we look at ourselves as like a three-sided marketplace. We've got the consumers at the heart and on one side of the marketplace, we've got the repair facilities, which is independent repair shops, as well as franchise repair shops and franchise dealerships on another side. And then we have a very strong partner component as well. Partners who are using our tech to make referrals of their consumers to these repair facilities and to our different consumer experiences that we have that help to empower consumers in the repair transaction. But we looked at this industry and we said, look, when consumers have a major problem with their car, they don't know who to trust or where to turn. We can provide information that empowers them. We can provide help. We can really be a friend to the consumer in this experience. And then we can also curate a network of repair facilities that is aimed at providing that same great experience to the consumer. Many marketplaces begin this way. And ultimately, we are very focused. So we're sort of similar to vertical SaaS and that we're very focused on this automotive industry. We're not like a general platform where it's like, hey, consumers come here and find a business of every different kind. We've been focused so that we can create that trust and transparency, those layers of information, communication that are very specific to the experience of caring and repairing for your car. Because of that focus gives us some similarity to that vertical SaaS that you're talking about. Many other businesses that are marketplaces started out focusing on the supplier side, for example. We could have taken an approach where we started with the repair facility and built the consumer layer afterward. And I think there are sort of different challenges depending on which side of the marketplace is your kind of true north. And ultimately, we have to keep all of the sides of the marketplace in a good balance so that everybody has a winning outcome on the marketplace. Otherwise, one side gets out of balance versus another, then you don't have an interplay that's empowering and that's going to make sense for your customers or your consumer. I think all of that has been important. And it's also the challenge of running a marketplace and particularly as a small business. There are many really successful marketplaces I'm sure people could think of, and they have gigantic staff. I feel pretty proud of what we've been able to create with a marketplace the size that it is internally in our company. We have about 100 employees today. Okay. I would love to dig into a little more specifics if we can. And maybe in this case, the question is more, 
when we get to the technology layer, when we get to actually the features of functionality that make up the solution that you offer, where are things different, would you say, in your case, maybe kind of what consumers are looking for or that side of the network needs versus the repair shops versus the other side of the network that the third side of the network that you mentioned? Like, what are some of the specific things that have to change in the product itself on those different sides of the network? Yeah, absolutely. So I think consumers that drive a car in the US is a huge total addressable market, literally hundreds of millions of people. We've focused a lot of our energy and resource on having a website that's easy to use, that has information that the consumer is searching for. We have a pretty strong SEO strategy. And so that's what drives consumers into our website. And then we have to give them a good so what as an answer to their question. Ultimately, we can empower and inform them. But the so what at the end of that is using one of our repair facilities to get their car repaired. To that end, when we are connecting that consumer with that shop, the tech that we develop, some of which is not visible to the consumer because it's specifically for a repair facility use, has to empower that transaction in the right way. So we've got to be able to help consumers schedule repairs at shops, for shops to know these consumers are showing up, what channel they're coming through, what their needs are. Did they run an estimate as part of that transaction? Was there other information that we can provide that empowers the transaction and so on? And on the third side of our marketplace, which is partners, when they want to make referrals of their consumers or members, depending on what kind of partner it is, to our shops, they also need visibility and connectivity. Their consumers need to come in through a channel that's going to make sense, depending on whether the consumer is directly paying for the auto repair or it's a third-party payer. And so we need a layer of technology there that empowers that transaction. You and I had chatted before, some people start with the more B2B tech, right? And the total addressable market of auto repair shops is somewhere between 80 and 150,000, depending on how you cut it or what you consider a repair shop to be, what range of services they provide. And so it's not as large of a total addressable market than there technology solutions are going to be more profuse. You've got a couple of choices. Either you can make an entry into a market that's already somewhat saturated, and then you can have a really unique or interesting entry into that market, or you can try to come up with something that is much more unique and differentiated that serves that market. I think it's more difficult to go from a solution like that into now how do we help the consumer? It's easier to start with consumer solutions in some ways and back into the technology that's needed to connect the supplier side of the equation. And look, there are a great many solutions that exclusively focus on that vertical SaaS component of working directly with the repair shop. And then they say, hey, RepairPal, we're going to partner with you because you're already connected to the consumer. And that's going to make a lot more sense to partner rather than try to build some kind of bolt-on consumer solution because it does require so much focus to to really make sure that you're attracting and addressing the consumer need. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought up some of the conversation previously because I was blown away to learn just how many different shop management solutions there are out there, how few of those are truly online. I think it also brings up just the technical challenge that is facing folks who want to provide a really new offering on the shop management side. Hence, starting with the consumer, given the size the cost for auto repair. At first, maybe I'll say I was surprised when you mentioned some of that, but as we dug in more, there's sort of an elegance there of saying, hey, we're going to stop with the transaction itself. 
We're going to stop with maybe scheduling the repair on behalf of the consumer, but we're not going to really take the leap and get into the actual shop management space from a technology standpoint. Yeah, absolutely. And look, I was shocked when I figured this out after joining RepairPal that shops were literally years behind in the transformation to SaaS because I had lived through the transformation to SaaS and payroll and payables and receivables and financial technology. And even though banks tend to be older in terms of their internal infrastructure and things like that, we've had online money movement since the 1970s. So the fact that shops were still using really outdated server-based software solutions was shocking to me. And now there's a few entrants into the sort of SaaS shop management system world, which is great to see. And I think there's it's ripe for some disruption in this way because what SaaS does is it democratizes solutions, takes really powerful solutions and makes them enterprise level even and makes them affordable for small businesses to use. I think Part of the challenge here is that shops are incredibly complex. They are repairing essentially computers on wheels. And there's so many different versions and variations of these computers on wheels that we drive called cars from, say, 1990 to now. It's been an incredibly revolutionary space. So many parts, so many different kinds of combinations of problems, things that can go wrong, choices that shops have in this space. And because there are so many consumers, so many cars, so many options, really wading through all of those and then packaging those in a solution that you're going to use to run your internal operation at a shop is an incredibly complex thing. And so I think some of the older or more legacy solutions out there, they were developed years and years ago to address these needs and they just haven't evolved as much because it's one of those things where if your shop operation isn't broke, sort of why fix it. You're solving broken problems of various kinds all day. And if that's something that you can kind of set it and forget it, I think that's what a lot of shop owners have done. Having said that, there are many different revolutions that are sort of happening in the world of car repair today, even in customer service today. And what it looks like pre and post pandemic are two totally different things. What the consumer is looking for and what they're needing in their lives to manage not just a computer on wheels, but really is your freedom. So thinking about that and people can't be without their cars for certain periods of time, oftentimes it's super inconvenient what they expect in terms of service. And that's all supported by this shop management systems. We will see some consolidation at some point and we will see SaaS take a more predominant role in that backend space. But it is an incredibly complex solution set that a shop actually needs in order to run effectively. Yeah. And I just want to highlight one thing you said there, which I think the subtext to a lot of the conversations we have on the show is around the digitization of small businesses, or in this case, really the upgrading of what in this case would be the shop management software, often moving to a cloud-based provider, a provider that maybe offers a more integrated solution or more financial products kind of bundled inside of it. The complexity in this case is one of the limiting factors. Like when a more complex workflow, more complex number, the inventory management piece of an auto shop, the complexity of the repairs themselves, like that all just raises the bar for the ability for a shop owner to make that upgrade or maybe the pain, the better way to say it is it just raises the pain of making that upgrade, especially compared to say some of the vertical SaaS platforms that we see moving into marketplace are folks like Vigaro and StyleC kind of more on the spa and salon and stylist side of things. Folks like Slice, which, you know, vertical SaaS for pizza shops and kind of opening up a marketplace to help find more customers that way. And you can just see there's 
maybe somebody in the sponsor space would disagree, but from the outside in, it certainly feels like a lot less complexity in that case. So Kathleen, I want to go back to, but I think there are still lessons to be learned. You mentioned when it comes to kind of growing the marketplace, giving the consumer what they want, you mentioned a really strong SEO presence, finding, like really being attuned to what the consumer is looking for and finding online. Are there any other lessons that either from Repair Powell or even you know your past career, are there any other lessons that you would say, hey, when it comes to building your marketplace, whether you're vertical SaaS or you're starting there, other lessons that help you, you think are unique in terms of how you've been successful growing Repair Powell's marketplace? Yeah, I do think that really understanding who your customer is or where your true north is going to be really important. You know, at times, RepairPal has been somewhat disruptive. And we have a fair price estimator, for example, on our website. When I first started at RepairPal in 2014, there were plenty of our supplier providers that were not thrilled about that. They were like, why are you showing prices, even price ranges to consumers around auto repair? So transparency had not yet hit the service and repair side the way it did the car sales or retail side of the business. That was a little bit of a concept that was, like I said, disruptive to the industry. We had to say, okay, our true north is a consumer. Consumers deserve to have transparency. They deserve fair pricing. We know consumers are getting ripped off. At least that's a big concern that consumers have when they walk into an auto repair shop. And we want to help take that off the table for repair shops that are doing things correctly. You have to be willing to take a stand around some of those kinds of principles, and they have to line up with who your true north is. Because if we had simply said, if repair shops don't like it, we're going to take it down, then a core part of our consumer value proposition would have disappeared. And I think that's really important when you think about who your audience is and what you really want to stand for. When I was doing payroll, we had to decide who's the audience that we have here. Is it the small business owner? Are we trying to make their lives easier? Or is our audience actually their employees? So again, we decided it's the small business owner. We want payroll so very simple. And so we started with that proposition. And then we had to create employee tools so that they could access their pay stubs and all of that sort of thing. But the goal was to really make that small business owner's life easier. You really have to decide who's your customer and then how do you build out from there? What connectivity do you need to give that customer to other parts of the transaction that you're trying to facilitate? So we do have to ultimately be creating some tools for our partners to use tools for our shop and dealer repair facilities to use so that we can connect them in a profound way to that consumer. But we don't have to be in that we're building every tool you might ever need business, which as we've explored is complicated. So making those decisions is really super important. So thank you for that. And I want to talk just a little bit about future growth, but I realize I might have misspoke previously. When you're today, when RepairPal, when somebody says, yep, I want to work with one of the partner shops or repair facilities, that's a part of the RepairPal network. I think I misspoke and said that you're handling some of the financial transaction, but that may not be the case. Please remind me how much specifically kind of are you touching maybe the way I say it in super simple terms? Are you touching the money of that transaction? Or are you just providing sort of that price estimate and then a referral to a repair facility? Yeah, typically we're not touching the financial transaction. That's an area that might be interesting for us to explore as it relates to fleet work or third-party payer kind of work. Today, we're not doing that. So when there is a third-party payer or there is a consumer that's directly paying for the work, either way, that repair shop gets paid directly by whoever the payer is in today's world. But that is something that would be interesting for us to explore 
We do help consumers on our site when they're having difficulty affording their repair and things like that. We can help them to facilitate them being connected to resources around financing and some of these other concepts. And so we want to deliver the most qualified repair customer that we can, both in terms of information, in terms of convenience around the repair transaction, and also in terms of financial qualification. That's really important to our repair facilities and it's empowering to the consumer overall, but we're not currently participating directly in that. Yeah. On the consumer finance side, have you thought about building any, say, loan products or credit products yourself with embedded finance tools? Or have you, and I'm curious, not asking you to get into roadmap, but more kind of your framework as a CRO, your framework in thinking about where there are opportunities for embedded fintech versus where there aren't for RepairPal? Yeah, so definitely starting to scratch the surface of that now. I think there's a strong potential for that. Right now, unfortunately, the cost of auto repair has gone up much faster than inflation. It's about 23% growth in the cost over the last 18 months, which is wild. It hasn't grown this quickly since 1974. So we're in a period of unprecedented cost increase. That's maybe great for repair facilities because for a long time, they were underpacing inflation, but it's not a great solution for consumers, many of whom can't afford auto repair and couldn't afford it prior to this cost increase. Now it's even more difficult. And like I said, this is your freedom. This is how you get to work. This is how you pick your kids up from school. So we're starting to see people have behaviors that are delaying auto repair because they can't afford it. And that's a safety problem. So you're putting your kids and your animals, whoever, in that car, yourself in the car. And if it's not safely on the road, that's a danger to you and it's a danger to other people on the road. And so ultimately, of course, we're very anti-waiting to get particularly safety-related concerns taken care of on the car. So how can we help you to be a safer car driver, both for yourself and your family and also for other drivers on the road? And that's helping you with financial options. While I don't see us getting directly involved in being a lender or being all of these things, I think that's where the partnership side of my role really comes into play. So it's amassing, it's finding the right partners, the right consumer options, and presenting those in an easy um, interface so that you know there's a frictionless repair experience both around, I know I've got an auto repair shop I can trust. I know that they're going to charge a fair price. And now I know I can also afford it because I've got these financial tools at my fingertips. Yeah. We chatted a bit before we started recording about how maybe it's the way to say it is the complexity of the auto industry and of auto repair in particular. You all have been successful by building a lot of trust with your consumer base, obviously with the shops as well as the partners you're matching in. I get the sense that comes from having a good gut sense of where you can really where you can play versus where you need a specialized player, in this case, a partner to to serve, say, in this case, a financing need. Yeah, absolutely. In order to create the trust on the repair facility side, which I think also translates to the trust that consumer can have, we're deeply embedded in the auto industry. We're supportive of many other organizations in the auto industry. We participate in conferences. We're in conversations. And so our understanding of where we're at and what we're able to do, we can translate that to the consumer because we're so deeply embedded in it, which is where any vertical SaaS play should be, right? You've really got to understand where you sit and the industry that you're in and what you can accomplish with a company of your size. So again, I mentioned earlier, we're a smaller company. And so it's really, what are we able to tackle effectively and where are there great options in the market 
that are already existent, that are deeply embedded in their space, deeply understanding what they need to deliver, that we can embed in our platform to create an end-to-end solution that we don't have to build ourselves from scratch for every single component that we're offering. Well, Kathleen, I can't think of a better note to end that on, kind of know where you can excel, know where there are great solutions and you can add more value for the end customer by just bringing those together. And hey, you need to be deeply embedded in your industry to to have a good gut feel on any of those metrics. Is there anything else you would add there, Kathleen? No, I just, I think at a micro level, we had talked a little bit about career in the beginning. And I think it's the same thing is true of individuals when you're looking at what contribution you can make personally, it's similar. And company is just that contribution at scale. I love that. Kathleen, I think that's a great place for us to wrap up today. And I want to be respectful of your time. So thank you so much for joining. And before we close, if any of the listeners would like to get in touch with you or connect in order to follow up on any questions or go deeper on some of the topics today, where would be the best place to find you? So certainly connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm happy to take emails and we can set up meetings from there. My email is very simple. It's Kathleen at repairpal.com. And I'd love to hear from any of your listeners who are interested in connecting. Fantastic. Kathleen, thank you again. For our listeners, we'll link to any of the resources that were mentioned today in the show notes. Thank you for taking the time to listen and keep an eye out for the next episode. Kathleen, thank you again. Thank you, Brian. Thank you for listening to the SMB Tech Innovators Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review and subscribe to enjoy future episodes. This episode of the SMB Tech Innovators Podcast is brought to you by Gusto Embedded. Gusto has spent a decade building and testing its payroll, tax filing, and compliance infrastructure, which is available as a robust set of APIs so you can develop custom-tailored payroll solutions. For more information, go to embedded.gusto.com.